Good morning, y'all. Man, it's, um, did anyone notice it was cold outside? Yeah, wee bit cold. Um, so what, what's going to happen is Chris Neal is out. By the way, my name is Tommy Jones. I'm the pastor of this particular establishment. If I have not met you, now we've met. If you want more, buy me lunch. So Chris Neal is out there, and he's watching the weather. Uh, and if he comes in and goes, this is the sign. We worked it out. If he does that, I'm going to say, God loves you, Jesus saves, and then we're all going to go home, uh, which is basically the short story of every message I've ever preached. So, uh, but hopefully that won't happen, but Chris is watching, so I appreciate you guys being here on this snowy day. Um, last gathering was fun. I have no reason to doubt this one's not going to be too. And for those of you who are at home today watching us online, thank you so much for joining us. So does anyone know, that, so we're doing this series called Experiencing God, if you're here and this is kind of your first time. We're doing a series called Experiencing God. Maybe you've done it before. Uh, and so we're going through this as individuals and as a church together. Does anyone remember last week's memory verse? And, and if you get it right, you can go out to the, the bake sale and pick one item that Craig Manat is going to pay for. So he volunteered right before the gathering. So does anyone, get, do you, Alicia, go ahead. Boom, Craig. Good job. All right. Good job. So, so that was last week. So now we're moving on to this week. So John 14, 21. If you got a Bible, open it up, a cell phone, whatever you, however you read the Bible. Or you can just read it on the screen. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Just keep that up there for just a minute. I just want to address something real quick. Remember that when we're doing this Experiencing God series, what Blackaby, the author of this book, is talking about is the destination. We are on a journey. So if you're reading things and you're like, man, I'm, I'm not quite there yet. I don't, it's okay. We're on a journey. This is the destination. The destination is, is to keep all the commands of God. That's where we're headed. But if you're reading this, you're going through this book and you're seeing some things, you're like, man, I, it's okay. Don't freak out. Just know that you're not yet there. Neither was Paul. One of the great, he said, I have, I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. But if you're reading this stuff and you say, man, I don't obey anything God commands and I don't really care, then let this passage alert you to an issue in your soul that needs to be addressed. Uh, because there's a theme throughout the whole Bible about keeping the commands of God. Jesus talks about this a lot. He wants us to do what he tells us to do. And he tells us why. Why does he want us to do what he tells us to do? Because I will show myself to them. When we're obeying God, God is revealing more of God to us. And the more we obey him and the more God is revealed to us, the more we experience God and the more we fall in love with God and the more we trust God and the more we actually begin to resemble God in the world and the more glory God gets from us. So he wants us to keep his commands. It's not because he's insecure. Uh, it's because he wants to give us more of himself. And so God's commands aren't always easy. Has anyone ever read the Bible and encountered a command you felt was difficult? If you haven't, you hadn't read it. Some of you just outed yourselves. But it's, it's, when you're going through the Bible, it's impossible to not encounter things and go, man, that's, that's kind of difficult. Occasionally we read something and it causes what Blackaby says is a crisis of faith where I'm like, man, I, that's really challenging. I'm not sure I can do that. And if I was to do it, it would, I would have to greatly adjust my life. And those things are hard. 
Some of the things God tells us to do are not necessarily easy. Now, some of them make sense. I mean, I think sometimes we're reading the Bible or we're in a group or whatever, or we hear a song and God convicts us in some area of our life and he commands us to like, to let's say God says, stop being a racist. Well, I think that's obvious, right? I think we can go, okay, you know, there's some generational stuff in my past and I've got to deal with it. It's not going to be easy to wash out this mindset, but I think we can understand why God would say, don't be racist. Uh, if, if, you, if you have a pornography problem, I think you can understand why God would say, stop doing that. Uh, you're objectifying human beings and, and, you're, and you're putting obstacles between your ability to truly love. We get that. Stealing, murdering, uh, you know, you've got addictions. And God's like, quit doing that. I think we get that. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's understandable. Some of the commands are like, okay, I get that. I, it's going to be a challenge for me, but I understand. But I think sometimes we read the commands of God and we don't understand them at all, so we overlook them as if it wasn't even a command. For instance, God commands us to worship him. God says, worship me. Over and over in the Bible, God says, worship me. As individuals, like worship me when you're alone, and then when we come into this thing, do y'all know what this thing is called? A worship gathering. Do you know why it's called a worship gathering? Because we gather here to worship. That's how that works. Like, this, this is what this is. God commands us to worship him. And I don't need to cite a verse for this. I can cite a book. It's the Bible. The whole thing is full, especially the Old Testament. Over and over and over in the Old Testament, it's passage after passage of God saying, worship me, worship me, worship no one other than me. I am your God. Worship me. Now, there's lots of different ways worship looks, but God commands us to worship him. And then Paul in the New Testament, Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 12, and Paul says, therefore, and when the Bible says, therefore, what should you do? Read what came before it, because I could be lying to you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper, what's that last word? Worship. Worship. He says, offer your body. And when Paul says, offer your body, he's not just talking about your physical body. When Paul says, offer your body, he's talking about your mind and your heart and your body. He's saying, offer all of yourself to God as a worship. This is how you worship him. And so what we can understand from not just Paul, but from the message across the pages of this is, number one, is worship is our response to what God has initiated. God moved first. We are responding to his mercy. Worship is an act of response to God's greatness, to his mercy, to that song we sang, Forgiven. Like that song should stir something in me because I know I have been forgiven of a lot. And so I worship God, not because of who I am, but in response to who he is. And so worship is a response to God's mercy. It's a response to God's greatness. We worship God because God moved first. It's the realization that we're in the presence of one who is greater. But it also means that worship is not just uh, something I think. It's not just something I feel. It's something I think, something I feel, and something I do. That worship is body, mind, and spirit. It's all of me. I mean, I worship God intellectually. He doesn't want mindless sheep. He wants me to, I worship him because I've thought about it, and he's my best option. So I worship him with my intellect. I worship him passionately. I worship him with my heart, and I worship him with my body in some way. And again, that can look a million different ways. But somehow, worship involves all of who I am. And as you read the Bible, man, 
Like when I read the pages of, of this book and I see these, like this Holy Spirit working on the earth and I see these stories of amazing things happening and, I, and if I just shut my eyes, like if I was on a desert island and I was just reading the Bible and I shut my eyes and pictured what would a worship gathering look like? Gosh, what would it look like if all of those people were in one room? All those people who'd been forgiven all those people who'd been empowered, all those people who weren't afraid of the world, all those people dead, like what would that look like in a room? And, and I dream about that, and then I go to church in America. And I go, man, sometimes that doesn't look like what I thought it would look like. I mean, I read these words in, in the Old Testament. There's these words in Psalm. There's a book. I think it's Holy Roar. I think it's a Chris Tomlin. It's a gorgeous book. It's the seven words of worship, if you ever want to read it. And, and just listen to some of the words they use to describe worship in the Bible. Yada, which is to worship God. By the way, I'm going to do this in perfect Hebrew because I'm a seminarian. So just stay tuned. Yada is to worship God with hands up. Halal is to boast about God, to celebrate. Zamar is to play an instrument. Tada, I like that one. Tada, to confess to God, to thank him for what he hasn't even done yet. To barak is to bow or to kneel. To sing is to heal. To heal is to sing. Shabbat is to shout praise. I mean, yada, halal, zamar, tada, barak, to heal, shabbat. And you don't have to do exactly that. But as I read these words, the question becomes, this is what they were bringing to worship. What are you bringing? This is what they were bringing to worship because they've been worshiping God all week in their heart and their mind. And so when they got together with a room full of worshipers, everyone, and not everyone had their hands up. I mean, you can boast about God just by being reverent, but what are you bringing to worship because of what God has been doing in your life all week? I don't know about you, but there have been times for me when my yada was more like a yawn. <sighs> I've got several of these, so stay tuned. <laughs> My barak was more like a berate. Like I'm berating the pastor, I'm berating the temperature, I'm berating the smell of the person next to me, berate, 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 berate. Right? And occasionally, once or twice, my halal has even been like, man, I wish we could get the halal out of here so I can be first in line at the cafe. <laughs> Don't act like you've never been. Am I allowed to say that one? I think that one's okay. Is that one okay? Rusty, is that one okay? Rusty gave me the green light. Blame him. And really, like, what happens to us sometimes when, when we're, we're like, we're bored with God? We're in this room, we have this time, and we've been, we've been just, God's been cultivating something in our hearts all week, and then we're in here, and we're like, eh, I don't know, nice snow. And I figured out what it is for me. I don't know what it is for you, but here's what it is for me. On the days when I approach God like that, those are the days when I've forgotten who God really is. It's when God has just become a name. It's just sounds and letters. God. When I approach God, when, when I skip my quiet time because I'm too busy, or when I, when I don't you know, just engage in worship, when I come in here and I'm thinking about a million different things, it is because I have forgotten who my God is. It's Valentine's Day, guys. How many of you have ever been in love? If you're married, you better raise your hand. You're sitting right next to you. You better raise your hand over there. All right, so lots, lots of us have been in love, right? By the way, there's my wife, Christy, over there. Christy, wait, wave to everybody. That's Christy. Give it up for Christy. Good job. Um, Christy has a name, and Christy's name means something to you. But Christy's name means something else to me. 
So if you were to ask me, tell me about your, your wife, and I said, her name is Christy, I'm married to Christy, that's it, it's Christy, I'm married to Christy, I'm Christy's, Christy's my wife. Do you hear any intimacy in that? If all I ever know her is Christy, she's my wife Christy, that sounds robotic, doesn't it? And weird. But Christy, the name Christy to me, has meaning beyond just sounds and letters. Like we've been married for almost a decade now. And when I think of Christy, I don't just think of Christy. Her name is Christy. When I think of Christy, I think of the, my lover. And I think of the, the, the mother of my, my children. And I think of my partner. And I think of one who, who pushes me and pulls me and corrects me and encourages me and, and is there for me and adventures with me and does life with me. Like when I think about the name Christy, there's a million other words that come to my mind other than just Christy. Because we have intimacy together, and we've shared life together. I think about all these things and pictures and moments that all wrap around the name Christy that make that name more than a name. So the name Christy to me, she's not just Christy. She, she's the one who applauds my greatest strengths and, and conceals my greatest weaknesses from all the rest of you. And I, like she's so many different things to me. And because she's more than just a name, she's more than just Christy, we have intimacy that's been developed over time. For too many of us, guys, God is just God. He's just God. Just words and letters. And he wants to be so much more than that. That's why in the Bible, God rarely just shows up and says, Hey, everybody, I'm God. God's here. It's me, God. I mean, he always says, he's like, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Or he'll show up and say, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I am provider. I am sustainer. I am creator. I am author. I am. He wants us to associate all these other words with him, not just God. And then Jesus shows up. And he doesn't just walk around and go, hey, Cindy, I'm Jesus. He goes, hey, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the vine, I'm the well, I'm the bread of life, I'm all these, I'm all these things. And he gives us all these other words to attach to his name so that we might know more than just his name because the intimacy is not in the name alone. In the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in heaven, he doesn't just go, hey, Tommy, it's Holy Spirit, I'm, I'm coming in. He says, I am power and I'm not timidity and I'm not fear and I'm truth, and I'm comfort, and I'm guidance, and correction. I am all of these things. And when you begin to know who God really is, you establish intimacy with God that goes beyond just God. Because if he's just God, then you, what you will find is a lot of other just gods that will compete for your affection. Because when he's God, he's a little G. And there's a lot of little Gs. And some of them are really cute. Our kids can become gods. Our relationships can become God's. Our money can become God. Our past can become God. Our political affiliation can become God. There's a lot of other things that can become God if you don't remember who God truly is. But as we begin to know him, as we begin to know God as, as comforter and provider and holy one and righteous and the lamb and the lion of the tribe of Judah and all of these other things that God is, what we know is a God who takes on my favorite God name ever, which is I am. 
I am. Like whatever your problem is, I am the solution. Whatever you're going through, I am with you. Whatever you've been through, I am redeeming it. Whatever you're experiencing, I am there. He becomes I am, and that changes everything. God, no, 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 no. No. I am. What you find is that as you become obedient to God, John 14, 21, let's read it again. It says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. As you are obedient to God in different areas of your life, God shows you different faces of who he is. As you're obedient to God with that addiction, God becomes healer. And as you're obedient to God with that relationship, God becomes restorer. And as you're obedient to God with your finances, he becomes provider. And over time, God becomes hope and truth and love and joy and peace and all these different things as you are obedient to him with a different part of your life. He wants to be more than just God. But it happens as you're obedient. And as you begin to know him for who he is, Worship just automatically flows from you. I was thinking today, maybe you're here today and maybe God's only name to you right now is maybe. Maybe God's, maybe God's just maybe to you. Like maybe there's a God. Maybe this Jesus thing is real. Maybe these people in this room are what they act like. Uh, maybe they will love me. Maybe God's, and if you're here today and God's name is just maybe, I want you to know you have more faith than you have any idea about you're here today and you don't even fully believe it. Like, and God is about to reveal himself to you as something more, as someone more. He will take your maybe and he will do something incredible with it if you will continue to move in obedience. Or maybe you're here today and God is just the God of my parents. Why are you in church? Well, because my parents went to church. And I want you to know that's good. I'm glad that got you in the door. But your parents' obedience will not reveal that next face of God to you. It'll be your obedience that reveals the next face of God in your life. And maybe you're here, and God is Savior to you. And if so, man, amen. Maybe you've, like, you've trusted him with your life. You had that moment where you got down on your knees and with the hammer in your hand, right? And you're like, God, forgive me. And God has actually forgiven your sins, and now God is your Savior. And so if that's you, your worship better reflect the God you're talking to. If God is your Savior, you need whatever it is for you to or whatever, you know, God should be reflected in the way you worship. If you believe that this God is saved, he didn't save you from a Band-Aid. He didn't save you from a bad day. He saved you from eternity apart from God. But even for you, if God is Savior, he wants to take on a new name. And the new name is King. God now wants to be King. He's like, don't just call me Savior. Call me King. I want to run everything. And as he runs everything, he begins to pour his spirit into you, and everything is transformed. I don't know where you are with God today, but I know God wants to become I am for you. And I know that everyone in this room has access to God but we have not all yet placed the same value on the God we have access to. And when you begin to realize the value of the God you have, it changes the way you approach him. So Caden and I, Caden's my son, he's 16, and, uh, and, he, and I, he, he came out, I guess it was last weekend, it was last week, he came out and he brought the baseball cards. I've had a box of baseball cards in a, in a little uh, cabinet for like, I don't know, 10 years. I've had them for longer than that. I've had them since I was probably in fourth grade. Matter of fact, I know because I stole the first one from Philip in fourth grade, and I am sorry. Like, 
It's Philip Lamar. I've been meaning to apologize to you about this, but I stole that card from you in fourth grade. <laughs> yeah, it's worth money now. So, but like, Caden brings these cards out, and we're looking at them, and, and I, they're, they're nothing to me. They're baseball cards. They're football cards. They're basketball cards. They're nothing. They're just things that have sat in a basket. And Caden goes, hey, Dad, I got an idea. Uh, why don't you Google the price of these things and let's see what they're worth? And so he pulls out, I have a 1958 Ed Matthews. That's the one I stole from Philip. And Caden says, Dad, Google this. You know what that thing's worth? It's like 250 bucks. And I was like, okay, put that one in the value pile. And then we start going through other cards and they all, oh, not all of them, some are worth nothing, but a lot of them have, have money, like 125 110 rookie card for this guy. And I was like, oh my gosh, we have like a thousand dollars worth of worth of cards here. And so what was just card in the cabinet? I knew I had it, but it didn't have a lot of value. Became something of value and it changed its name. It wasn't just card, now it's cash. It's got a new name. And then it's got an even better name, PlayStation 5. Because now I realize I've got enough cash to get a PlayStation 5. And so, you know, we take these things. They've just been sitting there, and they're actually in good condition because they've just been, and we're putting them in little plastic sleeves and putting them in boxes. I begin to adjust my life because I realize now the value of what I was holding on to. Y'all tell me you see where I'm going with this. <laughs> Come on now. I don't know how this one gets any clearer. Like as you see the value of what you have, you begin to adjust your life, not, not, not so it accommodates you, but so that your life accommodates the thing that's now more valuable. There's a story in the Bible, and this is so cool to me, man, and I think I fell in love with this. This is my favorite Bible verse of the week this week. Matthew 26 says, while Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. And she poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money could have been given to the poor. Leave that up there. Why this waste? So this woman comes into a room full of people and everyone in the room has Jesus. But apparently only one person in the room understands the value of the Jesus they have. Because everyone else in the room just knows him as Jesus. And now this woman comes in, and, and history tells us, and tradition tells us that this woman, maybe you've heard the story of the woman at the well, and she was caught in adultery, and they were about to stone her with rocks. Y'all remember this? And Jesus stands between the woman and the rocks. The belief is that that woman in that story is the same woman who was at the well that day. So they're sitting in a room with Jesus. She's staring at protector. They also think that might have been the woman when Lazarus was, was killed and buried in a grave, that this was Lazarus' sister. That day Jesus came to a place where the guy had been dead for three days, dead, stinking in a grave, and Jesus walked up and said, Lazarus, get out of there. And this woman saw that. So he was, she, she, when she walked in the room, she didn't see Jesus. She saw healer, protector, friend, lover of my soul, the one who brings life where there is death, the one who restored me, the one who saved me, the one who saw value in me when no one else did, the one who saw things in me no one would believe, the one who reached out his hand and made me whole again. She saw the value of the God that was sitting in the room and waste wasn't even in her mind. There was nothing she wouldn't have given him. She was no longer worried about what anybody thought. She was no longer worried about the value of what she had. She only cared about the one who had set her free. So my question to you today is, 
What do you bring? Do you understand the value yet of the God you're holding? Do you understand the value of the God who's holding you? Because when you understand that, it changes everything. Guys, I used to pray and pray and pray that God would give me a heart of worship. That God would give me a heart of worship. I remember I was sitting in Memphis, Tennessee in a church service by myself. And I had just gone through a divorce. And I was praying, God, give me a heart of worship. And as God began to heal me, it wasn't that God was giving me a heart of worship. It was just that God was allowing me to know God better. And worship was an automatic response from knowing who he was. And I sat there in a room by myself as the greatest of sinners. And I promise, I am he. And worship just flowed from me, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. Do you understand how valuable this God is? And if so, what, what will that worship look like in your life? And again, it doesn't all look the same. What's it look like for you? As we close this gathering today, it's Valentine's, and so I thought this would be an appropriate day to share an intimate dinner with the lover of our soul. And so today we're going to share in communion. And if you've never done this before, welcome. Do it here. If you're from another church and you're like, what are the rules? The rules are, this is not my body and my blood. I don't do the inviting. God does. And so if you desire today to share in this, then, then I believe God desires to share it with you. And at that last supper, when Jesus Christ sat at a table with a room full of people who knew him as healer, and they knew him as, as a rabbi, and they knew him as friend, but they were about to know him as the greatest thing, and that would be resurrected Lord and Savior. And Jesus took his body and said, I want you to know me in a new way. Know me as body. And so he said, take my body and eat it, all of you, for forgiveness of sins. And after the supper was over, Jesus said, I want to give you another name for me. The name is blood. The blood that will set you free, the blood that will restore you, the blood that will ignite your heart to worship me. And so when you're ready and as you're ready, share in the blood that Christ offers you. And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving. We offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we declare, as we proclaim this mystery of faith that says Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. And his Holy Spirit is poured out on you, and we're asking him now to pour it out on these gifts of bread and wine that they may be for us, the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. God, make us one with you. Make us one with each other. And make us one in unity with all the world until you come again and we feast at that heavenly banquet. All honor and glory is yours, almighty Father, now and forever. God, what a privilege it is to worship you. God, however that looks, whatever we bring, let it be real and let it be our best. God, whatever we give you, whether we're the may, maybe or the, or, the, or the Savior or the whatever, God, maybe today's the day you show us a new face. Maybe today's the day we show you new obedience. God, you have initiated something in us through your mercy, and we respond with worship and praise. It is in Christ's holy name I pray, amen. You guys stand and worship with me.
Thank you. 